Blog Talk Radio. Oh yeah, stand up and shout. Welcome to Band Radio Show, coming to you each Monday and Wednesday night at 8 p.m. Black Books Rock. We are more than just a niche. We are a movement, says Ella Curry of EDC Creations. Prepare for the most stimulating conversation on the planet. Sit back, relax, enjoy another mind-blowing literary experience. Give the gift of knowledge. Put your hands together for your host, Ella D. Curry. I'm your host, Ella Curry. Tonight is another Crown Holders interview with none other than Deneen Milliner, a New York Times bestselling author. We're going to discuss her new release, One Blood. One Blood is about three generations of women, their legacy, and their survival. Before we jump right into the show, I want to tell you a little bit about Deneen Milner. She's an award-winning author, journalist, TV host, podcaster, and essayist. Deneen Milner is a New York Times bestselling author, and as I've mentioned, she's an award-winning journalist. And she has helped with books or co-author books with Taraji uh, P. Henson, Steve Harvey, Will Smith. And she has 31 best-selling titles to her name. She's a legendary force in entertainment and publishing circles. As vice president and publisher of her own imprint, she champions the stories of African-American children. Beyond her publishing success, Milner's cultural commentary shines on in MyBrownBaby.com and through her media appearances, including NPR's Speak Easy with Deneen. Her new novel, One Blood, is highly anticipated. It's an exploration of black motherhood set during the black migration era. In Inspired by her own adoption journey, Deneen Milner is here to discuss her latest novel, A Multi-Generational Tale. One Blood is an intimate story of the three women and an examination of black American womanhood, motherhood, and adoption. So join me in welcoming Ms. Deneen Miller to Band Radio Show. Hello, how are you? Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. This story was so incredible and so multifaceted, and I saw so much of my own Southern upbringing and my my story with my grandmothers and great-grandmothers, one being the children are to be seen <laughs> and not heard. <laughs> so I really related to that part. This 
it's it's so much to talk about in this story. So I'm gonna try to keep it to about four main topics. But let's start with that cover. Oh my God, the cover has to have a story. It has a story of its own. So could you tell us For about sure. the development of that cover? Sure. I I I love this cover cover so much. The uh, publishing company. Um, that was working on the book. I, I was first with um, uh, St. Martin's Press, and then the book followed the editor over to Tor Forge. But St. Martin's Press uh, asked me at the time, what artist, what are my dream artists for the cover? And I told them um, Tawny Chapman, T-A-W-N-Y-C-H-A-T-M-O-N. Um, Tawny Chapman, and I follow her on Instagram. She does these beautiful, beautiful photographic images that she then paints on and does all kinds of really cool designs on. And she had this really beautiful series that I'd followed of little black girls with, like, all this big hair. And then she would take pictures of them, and she would paint uh, these, you know, the the clothes onto them, and then she would take pictures that she found from ancient, you know, African pictures and juxtapose them in their hair. And that was to help us understand um, the connection between the ancestors and how, like, our roots are in our hair. And so I was like, I really, if she let us use one of those pieces, I would be so happy. And so she did. She let us use one of the pieces. She um, recreated some of the pictures in the hair um, to sort of look like what I had envisioned as the characters. Uh, and then she, you know, did, uh, she gave it to us, and we put a little razzle-dazzle on it with the, we changed the clothing from white to um, this really beautiful rust. And then the graphic designer and the art director uh, made the, the words on it, and it just, it's just a beautiful, beautiful book. It really is. You just want to have the cover printed and use it for art in the home. I actually have yeah. my heart cover on my coffee table with the rest of my, you know, coffee table books. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. And my agent, Victoria Sanders, I love her so much. She's my sister, and she's been my agent for well over 20 years. She actually bought me the original artwork that Tawny created. And I have that hanging up on my wall in my in my bourbon room where I sit and drink bourbon and dream up new stories. That's amazing. Now, that leads me to my next question. We know you for co-authoring books with really famous people that, had hit, that have hit every major award-winning book list. We know you for writing your children's book books and having the children's book imprint. But now this is the first time that I know of you writing a novel that's yours, your novel. So tell mm -hmm. us about how you were inspired into writing this story, One Blood, and as much of your personal story as you are willing to share about the story behind the story of One Blood. Sure. So the story behind the story of One Blood is really about my questioning or wanting to have questions, having questions for my birth mother and my mother who raised me. 
um, I, you know, like she, she adopt, she and my father adopted me, but I don't refer to them as my adoptive parents. I refer to them as my parents and my birth mother, I refer to as my mother of origin. Right. So, um, I, I found out when I was 12 that I was adopted. I was snooping through my parents' papers in their room. They had like this little metal box that I used to, you know, like just kind of go into their room and wanted, I, I wanted to wear my mother's perfume and try on her lipstick and look through their dresser drawers because I've always been nosy. That's why I'm a journalist. And um, I, I found their box that they kept their bills in. And I wanted to see, you know, like what was in this bill box and, you know, how much money were they paying out to this, this, that, and the third, JCPenney's and Sears and all of them. And at the bottom of this box, I found my adoption papers. And it, you know, like it was shocking, of course, 12. And so I thought that I would, I didn't say anything because I thought I would get in trouble for going through their things, first of all. And then second of all, because it had been a secret, I just didn't want to disturb that that secret. If my parents, um, you know, felt like this was something that they needed to keep close to their chest, I was going to honor that. Uh, and so I never told them that I knew that I was adopted. My mother passed away without knowing that I knew. And the day, the evening of the day that we buried my mom, I told my dad that I knew, and he gave me like some very rudimentary, basic um, ideas, I mean, not ideas, but facts or details about um, how they came to adopt me and, and how I came to end up at the orphanage where they found me. And that's sort of the beginning of my origin story, or at least it was. And I wanted to play off of that. Like, I always wanted to know um, more about my my mom and sort of her life and her life with her friends. But, you know, just like you said earlier, we I was raised in a generation where you were supposed to be seen and not heard. And so all the questions that I had for my mother, I never really got to ask her because I was a kid. And you don't just walk around asking your mother all her personal business, right? Like she held that close to her chest, like older black people tend to hold um, those kinds of, that kind of information to themselves. And so I never got to ask her, you know, how did you, you know, fall in love with daddy? You know, what was it that, um, you know, happened that you couldn't have uh, children um, through childbirth? What happened um, that you, uh, you know, to bring you to the decision to actually adopt um, me and my brother? What is it that you um, wished for your life before you, um, got married and had kids, what, did you have any other kind of aspirations and ambitions beyond what it was that you ultimately became, which was a wonderful wife and a wonderful mother. She worked a blue-collar job and, you know, went to church on Sundays and had a beautiful life, but, like, that, her life wasn't explored in any grand way in the media or in newspapers or magazines. Uh, in movies at the time, I felt like when I was growing up, that would help me kind of um, help us shine a light on her generation beyond sort of what we usually tie into that generation, which is, you know, black women were in the civil rights movement and they were, you know, uh, the foot soldiers of Martin Luther King. And that is the beginning and end of it, right? Or they 
suffered greatly through, you know, uh, uh, segregation and then fought for their freedom and then they were cool. And I just felt like there was always so much more to my my mother's story than that. And so I wanted to ask her. I never got to. My mother passed away when I was 34. I had just had my second baby. She was about six weeks old when when we lost my mom. And, um, you know, though our relationship had started getting to the point where I could ask her questions before I knew it, she was gone. And so the things that I ever, all the things I wanted to ask my mom, all of the ways that I wanted to, wanted to see her life explored, all of the, the different ways that I feel like I wanted to honor her generation, her and her, and her friends, and even my birth mom and sort of the choices that she may have made. I don't have any, um, you know, details on how she made those, the decisions that she made to um, have a baby and to carry the baby to term and then how the baby ended up um, being adopted instead of raised by her. I never got to ask any of those questions of either of them. And so I asked them of my characters, and that's where One Blood came from. And there's some deep conversations that take place in uh, One Blood. We just really talk about the desperate human need for longing of freedom, physical and mental Mm -hmm. and emotional safety. We talk about significant others and mothers and and, in relationships of mothers and daughters. This is one-of-a-kind story. So in your novel, the characters Grace, Dolores, and Ray each represent different generations and experiences. How did you go about creating their distinctive voices, and were these voices, uh, each one of these women, inspired by your mom and her friends or someone you knew in history? Are they based Mm -hmm. off real-life people, and how did you craft their distinct voices? Well, they're not based on real people per se, but, you know, like I grew up at the knee of Betty Milner, and so, you you know, maybe Dolores is, if there's any one of the characters that, um, you know, kind of speaks to my mom's voice in her generation, it would probably be Dolores. Um, and for my birth mother, I, I didn't know who she was until literally I started doing research for this book, and, and I actually ended up finding my birth mother, which is crazy. But um, her voice and Mama's voice come from just sort of this really, my friends always, my my Southern friends always make fun of me for saying this, but I'm going to say it anyway. I feel like I have Southern, like I'm a Southerner, even though I was raised in the North. And I feel that way because both of my parents are from the South. My mom's from South Carolina. My dad's from Virginia. And everyone that I grew up around had these Southern thralls and these Southern ways and practiced Southern culture. We were just in Long Island. But, you know, I I don't look at um, my embrace or my learning about and being a part of the fabric of the Southern um, ways um, in the North any differently than I do, say, a Dominican moving from Dominican Republic to um, you know Harlem, but you know they don't give up their 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 um, their ability to call themselves Dominican, right? Like they're Dominican, 
American, but, you know, they embrace their culture, they speak their language, they, you know, honor their traditions. And I feel like as a northerner raised by southerners that I can claim southern too because that's all I knew growing up. And so when you hear mama's um, uh, accent or you you consider some of the things, the ways that they live, like scenting the house with gardenias under the, the window or um, you know, the, the the way that they cook or the way that they heal, the way that mama is a, a healer and a, a midwife, all of that is a part of my family story. My, my father's grandmother was a midwife and healer. She's the one who, um, you know, caught every last one of the babies in the family and also healed the community and caught babies all throughout um, Virginia where she lived with her family. And so when the voices that you hear are very much inspired by um, the people that raised me or that I knew or that my parents knew and shared some of their um, their background with me, it just made it very easy for me to envision in my mind this world building um, that ended up in one blood and the voices that ended up in one blood. And then Ray is, you know, like, Ray is me, right? You know, like everything about <laughs> her voice, <laughs> everything about her voice and her being a journalist and, you know, some of the things that, that she went through and, and um, you know, in terms of trying to figure out how to balance a husband and a baby and a demanding career and um, pushing back against that 1990s idea that women could have it all and her acknowledging that actually having it all is kind of hard if I want to have me along with that. I can't have me and and all of everything else at the same time. Um, and that I'm, I'm more than just a mother. I'm more than just a wife. I'm more than just somebody's worker. I have um, the ability to see more for me. And that was ultimately what her mother passed her birth mother or her mom of origin through her, her veins. And then also what she... Um, what her, her actual mother who raised her wanted for herself but couldn't harness for herself. And I think that um, Ray is, it was able to kind of reconcile or recognize that her mother didn't have what she needed to get toward freedom. And so it was on her to heal that trauma and actually reach for some freedom for herself. So um, that, that the book of Ray or Ray's character was written when I was actually – um, you know, learning how to live my own life uh, after a divorce and with um, and being an early empty uh, a new empty nester. Um, you know what it was like to finally be able to do simple things <laughs> that I I couldn't do when I was married because when you're married you have to compromise, right? When you're by yourself you don't have to compromise anything. Mm-hmm, you get to mm-hmm. live the life that you want to live. And so um, you know that's what I was exploring with Ray. Now I have to be brutally honest and with my readers and listeners. I resonated with Ray because I just lost lost my life partner of twenty years to leukemia. Oh. And after that yeah. death reading your story made me realize 
that after that death, I questioned, who am I? What am I doing? And I resonated with Ray, and I cried a lot, a lot reading the book because I saw my mom's story and understood her better reading your book. And it's crazy that in my own life, my own world, living it, a lot of this just went over my head to reading the book. I even felt myself in crying through the book that I need to pick up the phone and have some conversations with the elder women in my family. This book is, is phenomenal. It really is. Thank you. Thank you so much. That means a lot to me because I felt like the things that I wondered about, the things that I always wished that I could ask of my mother and my birth mother, the things that I witnessed but didn't necessarily understand as a kid, that um, that I wasn't alone in that, right? And, and I didn't figure that out until I got older. Um, and then, you know, decisions that I've made in my life, you know, I look around and my girlfriends are going through the same things. And so it's just like, you know what, this I'm I'm glad that people were able to see what I was trying to do is that, you know, like these women's stories are all of our stories. Black women, they are our stories. They are it's about reproductive justice. It's about um reproductive freedom. It's about dealing with patriarchy, colorism, um trauma and how you how you push past it. It's about sisterhood. It's about um, mother-daughter relationships. It's about, you know, relationships with a significant other and how you push push through um, the, the hard times or make the hard decision to push through um, those hard times and be on your own and what that looks like, what kind of freedom comes with that. And so these are all human stories told through the stories of, you know, blackness, because that's what I am. I'm a black woman, and I love exploring us, but they are human stories um, that are particular to human women, right? And so um, I'm really, really happy to hear that you resonated with what I wrote. Now, I have always considered you a cultural storyteller because your work, even on, even I consider your posts on Instagram and Facebook, you are a cultural <laughs> storyteller. And I've been following you and watch kids grow up and all of that. Your work has always explored womanhood through mm-hmm. a multicultural lens. I see that you have fans and interviews from people other than us. But given the current social and political climate, in what ways do you think one blood resonates with the experiences of black mothers today, especially black mothers that got black sons and all of the things that are happening, and black mothers now trying to run their own businesses and stand on their own, much like you said, leaving divorces and empty nesters. So how do you feel one blood resonates with the experiences of black mothers right now in this climate? Right. Well, you know that um, black motherhood is – an absolute passion of mine, the exploration of it, um, 
you know, that came from when I was working at Parenting Magazine as an editor, and then when I left Parenting Magazine, they gave me a national column, and I wrote about um, sort of the ethics and etiquette of mothering. Um, but I wrote it for wrote that for a more general audience, but then I created My Brown Baby so I could speak specifically to us. And um, One Blood is very much um, sort of a, a a fictional version of what I've always said um, with at parenting and through my brown baby is that black women, black mothers um, have their babies with intention, right? That whatever stereotype that you have of black mothers, that we just accidentally get pregnant and we are lackadaisical about, um, you know, having babies and taking care of them and we don't, um, you know, mother and parent with intention and we don't mother and parent um, in a way that, um, uh, you know, makes sure that our children thrive or that, you know, like anything wrong that happens that, you know, all you have to do is look at a black mother because the way that she parents her kids and the way that her kids are suffering is just, you know, indicative of the educational system or the pitfalls in the healthcare system. I have never bought into those stereotypes of um, black mothers and the way that we, um, you know, we the way that we create um, birth and rear our children. I've always um, supported the the facts that the majority of us have these children and we have them with intention. We love them with abandon and we want nothing but the best for them. And, uh, you know, One Blood explores that in that you're seeing, particularly through um, Grace and Lolo and Ray, but Lolo in particular, all the reasons why Lolo is such a harsh mom, right? All the reasons that she's harsh and protective it's not because she's a bad mother. It's because she brings a a a a truckload, a mac truckload of trauma with her, um, and fear with her, all based on the ways that she was reared or wasn't reared, and how she had to survive. And so, you know, I I take pleasure in reading my own work, <laughs> going back to it. <laughs> And 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 being grateful that I was able to do what I set out to do, which was to show why Lolo was the kind of mother that she was, and also for you to understand that because even though that she was even though she was harsh, she loved her children, she loved her husband, she loved um, being a mother. She just had issues trying to figure out how to make being a good mother reconcile with the fear and abandonment and trauma that she carried in every cell in her body. And so once you can pull back and, you know, like strip away the stereotypes that we have of black women, of black mothers and black children and our relationships with one another and actually consider the human um you know the human tragedies that go into um the the raising and rearing of black children in a society that that doesn't care for either one of us right exactly. American society don't give a damn doesn't give a damn about black mothers and it sure don't give a damn about about black children and so all of the different ways that society conspires to make our lives a living hell 
and all the ways that it conspires to make us fail and all the ways that it conspires to deny us um, the, the lives that we deserve to live, these women still rise above and manage to create magic. And that's what Lolo did. She created magic in creating Ray and in, in, in being Ray's mother. And Ray is able to take both the pain that she, she suffered through her um, raising with her, her, her rearing with uh, Lolo and the good things that she was able to see in her mother through all of that pain and trauma, the good things that she was able to see through her mother, she was able to be a better mother to her child. And so I think, um, you know, if there's one thing that I hope that I accomplish with One Blood is for folks to look, to give a 3D look at um, black women and black motherhood and not just sort of this, this one-dimensional stereotypical painted with one color and one breaststroke kind of idea that um, American society tends to have of black mothers. Well, I'm here to tell you, you did an excellent job on all of those touch points, and readers from all ages can gather something from this book. My daughter's 27, so your publisher sent me a copy when I finished my tear Tearfield journey with it. I passed it on to her because I realized mm-hmm. she doesn't understand me. And one of those mothers in that book mm-hmm. was me telling my story wow. and, 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 and wow. why I am who I am through abuse and poverty. And, and I've never been wow. able to express it. I don't know how to, how to, so I gave the book to my daughter so she wow. can read that and see me, and she'll understand her grandmother and why she operates like she does. You killed Absolutely. it. You did it. So that leads me to ask <laughs> my you. You're welcome. My final question, because I know uh, our time is limited, so this is my question. That book created so many questions. I took a notebook writing out questions I had for my girlfriends, and I have 10 book clubs of my own. So when we discuss this book, I now want to know about these women because some of them are older than me and we come from all walks of life. Have you Mm -hmm. considered, much like some of the other celebrity folk, having your own book club where the sisterhood, all of us, can come together and discuss these issues. Because I'm like, hell, we need to break this out. This needs to be like a <laughs> webinar retreat. You know, we need some time to unpack all of this. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. I, You know, I am always down for that. I am down for that. I, You know, like I, I created um, a, a book club kit. Uh, my daughter helped me. Uh, my daughter designed it. I came up with the um, with the, the the questions, and it has playlists on Spotify that go with each one of the characters. It has cocktails that are um, you know associated with with each one of the characters. It has book club book club questions. It has sort of the inspiration behind the characters and the book itself. And um, if book clubs want me to come and engage with them in conversation, I am happy to do that. You can email me at um, onebloodbook at gmail.com. 
and I can get you that book club kit. And if you um, if you are interested in having me come and um, engage with you once you you all have read it and you're about to sit down and discuss it, I'm happy to do that. We can arrange that. We can negotiate that for sure. Um, and you know, just email email me at onebloodbook at gmail dot com or Denine at mybrownbaby.com, um, and I will be happy to um, work that out with you for sure. Awesome. You'll be hearing from me soon because I've already decided that our New Year book to read as a group will be One Blood, and I want to get, I want to get my little hands on that kit. <laughs> I'm so, <laughs> so excited. I will yes, be- absolutely. So I will be reaching out to you. So, Ms. Mildo, thank you so much for taking this time to join us on Band Radio Show, and we have really enjoyed discussing the book One Blood in Swanye Magazine. And so I'm not sure if your publicist had told you, but we will be featuring you on the New Year cover of Swanye Magazine, and we are going to transcribe this conversation, and this conversation will be the written first half of Swanye's New Year Magazine. What an honor, Hugh. Much. You're I'm, welcome. I'm moved. I'm deeply moved. Thank you so much. That means You're a lot. Welcome. You're welcome because we need more uh, material, books, and different things for our young women because I'm looking at entertainment and the way the culture has kind of derailed a little bit right now. And mm, we need mm-hmm. books like this to let them know okay, that's one thing. But this is the real thing. That's a facade. That's a that's a whole nother thing. This is real Absolutely. life. This is what you're dealing with every day. So I want to do Absolutely. my part in getting the word out about one blood. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm I'm deeply moved and I'm deeply grateful. Thank you. So Miss Milliner, enjoy your holiday weekend, and I pray <laughs> that you continue on to publish more of your works, your books. <laughs> I love the other books, the co-author, but I'm really feeling this book, and I can see this book going on to be two or three more books. But thank you so much for joining us for this Crown Holders interview, and I will definitely be sending you a printed copy of Swanye when we get this interview into print. Thank you so much. It was such an honor to be on your show. So, Band Radio Show family, now it's time for us to do our thing as we say goodbye to Mr. Neen Milliner. Go out and tell at least 10 people about today's show. Buy one book for yourself and five others for your sister friends. This is a book that needs to spark conversation. It can start us. It can be the beginning of us healing in our own personal lives. My name is Ella Curry. I'm the president of Crown Holders, Crown Holders Transmedia and Black Pearls Magazine and Swan Yay Lifestyle Magazine. I'm here every Monday and Wednesday bringing you some of the most provocative and tantalizing tales in publishing and One Blood by Miss 
Deneen Milner is going to be one of those books we talk about for months and years to come. So go out and tell your friends and your family to post about it on social media. Enjoy your weekend, family, and I'll see you all right back here Monday.